Bible study tonight. We're continuing with week four. It's been weird every time we have a week. Uh, we have one or two weeks off for snow or ice or, or a hailstorm, whatever. Uh, but we're back at it tonight. We're in the fourth week. Our Bible study is entitled The Grand Scheme of Things. Uh, we're stacking up really a biblical perspective starting in Genesis, working our way to Revelation. At this pace, it may take us a little longer, but we're going to uh, build block by block a picture of the truth of Christ uh, explained through all of Scripture. Again, tonight we're in the fourth week. It is looking at the growing problem, and we're going to talk about that and then God's gracious remedy to that problem. Tonight we're going to read a whole bunch of verses. I'll read those in a second, but we're looking at the story of Noah um, in, in his account in Genesis tonight. Now, what we're going to see tonight is really about God, and we're going to learn about God. We're going to learn about righteousness, and that's the main thing. What is righteousness? How do we lose our righteousness? How do we gain righteousness? What does it mean to be a righteous person? Uh, we're going to see that in our verses tonight. So really, it's not so much of a Bible study about Noah. A lot of times we come to these verses and we talk about Noah did this, and we explain Noah, and Noah is the focal point. Tonight, we're going to look at God and some new, some new revelations in our, as we progress about God, and then we're going to talk about righteousness tonight. Our verses tonight are found in Genesis chapter 6, starting in the fifth verse. We're going to read to chapter 7, verse 24. I'm going to read all of that, and then we'll come back and, and break it up as we study it from there. Our key points tonight, before we get started in the verses, uh, God is holy, he must judge sin, and God is gracious. Now, those things may not seem uh, to be able to coincide, but we're going to talk about how they do coincide. He must judge sin at the same time God is gracious. I'm going to start, and you're going to have to just bear with me. I'm going to read the entire account, Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, through chapter 7, verse 24. God's word says this. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The Lord was sorry that he made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. The Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the Lamb, from man to animals to creeping things and to birds of the sky, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. These are the records of the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his time. Noah walked with God. Noah became the father of three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in the sight of God, and the earth was filled with violence. God looked on the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way upon the earth. Then God said to Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. And behold, I'm about to destroy them with, with the earth. Make for yourself an ark of gopher wood. You shall make the ark with rooms and shall cover it inside and outside with pitch. This is how you shall make it. The length of it shall be 300 cubits, its breadth 50 cubits, and its height 30 cubits. You shall make a window for the ark and finish it to a cubit from the top and set the door of the ark on the side of it. And you shall make it with lower, second, and third decks. Behold, I, even I, am bringing the flood of water upon the earth to destroy all flesh, 
in which there is breath of life from under heaven. Everything that is on earth, the earth shall perish. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every kind into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. Of the birds after their kind, of the animals after their kind, of every creeping thing of the ground after its kind, two of every kind will come to you to keep them alive. As for you, take for yourself some of all the food which is edible and gather it to yourself. And it shall be food for you and for them. Thus Noah did according to all that God had commanded him. So he did. Chapter 7. The Lord said to Noah, enter the ark, you and all your household. For you alone I have seen to be righteous before me in this time. You shall take with you of every clean animal by sevens, a male and a female. And of the two animals that are, are not clean, two, a male and his female. Also of the birds of the sky by sevens, male and female, to keep offspring alive on the face of all the earth. For after seven more days, I will send rain on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. And I will blot out from the face of the land every living thing that I have made. Noah did according to all that the Lord had commanded him. Now Noah was 600 years old when the flood of the water came upon the earth. Then Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives entered with him into the ark because of the water of the flood. Of clean animals and animals that are not clean and birds and everything that creeps on the ground. There went into the ark by, to, to Noah by twos, male and female, as God had commanded Noah. It came about after the seven days that the water of the flood came upon the earth. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on the same day, all the fountains of the great deep burst open, and the floodgates of the sky were opened. The rain fell upon the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. On the very same day, Noah and Shem and Ham and Japheth, the sons of Noah and Noah's wife, wife and the three wives of the sons with them entered the ark. They and every beast after its kind, all the cattle after their kind, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth after its kind, and every bird after its kind, all sorts of birds. So they went into the ark to Noah by twos of all flesh, in which was the breath of life. Those that entered, male and female of all flesh, entered as God had commanded him, and the Lord closed it behind him. Then the flood came upon the earth for 40 days. And the water increased and lifted up the ark, so that it rose above the earth. The water prevailed and increased greatly upon the earth, and the ark flowed on the surface of the water. The water prevailed more and more upon the earth, so that all the high mountains everywhere under the heavens were covered. The water prevailed 15 cubits higher, and the mountains were covered. All flesh that moved on the earth perished. Birds and cattle and beasts and every swarming thing that swarms on the earth and all mankind. Of all that was on dry land and all in whose nostrils was the breath of the spirit of life died. Thus he blotted out everything that was upon the face of the land from man to animals to creeping things into birds of the sky. 
And they were blotted out from the earth, and only Noah was left, together with those that were with him in the ark. The water prevailed upon the earth 150 days. All right, that's our account tonight. Again, a lengthy account. We're going we're gonna to move through some pieces of that, establishing some big things from our account. We'll continue this account next week as well. Now, we see in our account uh, the growing problem of sin. And that's, that's really what this is about, the growing problem of sin. The, the sin that started with Adam and Eve didn't end there, didn't stop there. In fact, it escalated, and you read the account, it, it grows and it spreads and it escalates until the Bible says it got to the point that the intent of the thoughts of man's heart was only evil continually. That's in Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. And so sin escalates, sin spreads to the point that men think of sin. They think about how to participate in sin, how to spread sin. Again, sin escalates. Now, here's the truth from that, and it still exists today, and, and that is this. Sin left unchecked always escalates. Sin left unchecked always grows. It becomes consuming, and that's the truth about sin. Left unchecked, it spreads. Left unchecked, it escalates. Sin always escalates. Now, when I think about that, I think about David and his sin. Well, the first thing he does, he doesn't go out with the men of war. And the next thing, he sees a woman on her rooftop and he lusts after her. And then he commits adultery with her. And then he lies to cover it up. And then he commits a murder on top of that. And it's, it's that same progression. A little always turns into more, turns into more. And so we see Sin always escalates. So we have the growing problem of sin. Now, here's the, here's the thing about God. God hates sin. He actually, the Bible says, abhors, detests sin. Now, that's an interesting thing. Uh, we sometimes get used to sin, or maybe we rank sin, or we explain away sin. You know what God does? He can't stand sin, any of it. He detests it. He abhors it. God hates sin. Now, here's the next thing for us to understand. God is just, which means he establishes, keeps, and upholds perfect justice. He is just. He alone is perfectly just. And because he is just, he always punishes, judges sin. Now that just goes back to his nature. Because God is perfectly just, he must judge sin. Why does he judge sin? Because he has to, because he's perfectly just. Now I want you to think about that for a second. What if there were a judge and that judge were to say, hey, we caught somebody and they stole a car. And they were to say, well, that's against the law. And we look it up and it's against this law. And it comes with this sentence. And, and they, he bangs his gavel and he sentences him to prison. And, and that's the sentence of that person. And the next person comes in and they stole a car. 
and they were found guilty, and he looks it up, and it's this law, and it's this punishment. What if the judge said, yeah, but they're my cousin? You know, they're my cousin. Or what if he said, you know, he needed a car that day. How was he going to get somewhere? Or what if I said, well, he, he really had a good heart. He stole the car so he could go help somebody over here. And, and so I'm going to throw the sentence out. I'm not going to find him guilty. We would say that is an unjust, unjust judge. Well, in the same way, God, because he is perfect in justice, upholds and ushers in perfect justice, he must judge sin. Now, here's the thing about us. We like that until that's us. Now, think about that for a second. Look at the story again. If he says you stole the car, you're guilty of stealing the car, you're sentenced for stealing the car, and you're going away, and it was your car that he stole, you're in the back going good. He, he, should, have, he, should, he should suffer that. But if you're the one that stole the car, it's a different story. If he says, hey, I'm letting you go for whatever reason, you go, no, that's my kind of judge. I like a gracious judge. We like a gracious judge when we're the one that's guilty. But we like a just judge when it's somebody else. If it was your mother's car that somebody stole, they need to pay for that. So we're okay with a little bit of fudging as long as it's not applied to us. Well, to be perfect in justice, to be a perfect administrator of perfect justice, our judge has to be perfect, upholding the same standard in all situations. Now, what does the Bible say of God? He's no respecter of people. He's not swayed by a cousin. He must judge sin. If there's going to be justice, he must judge sin. So we see that in this account, we learn this truth. He must judge sin. Why? Because he's perfect in justice, because he's a just God. So he hates sin, and because of who he is, his nature, his character, he must judge sin. Sin must be judged. Now here's something crazy. However, God is also gracious. And it's, and it's pretty wild. What's crazy here is as fast as sin enters in, God's graciousness, in his graciousness, he puts in a remedy for sin. And that's, 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 that's uh, tremendous to me. And I think one of the great glorifying things about our God is as fast as there's a problem with sin, he promises a remedy for sinners, for sin. He is gracious in that. Now, I read this psalm, this psalm uh, I think, a Sunday ago to start the service. But listen to this. Think about these words. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and great in loving kindness, mercy. The Lord is good to all, and his mercies are over all his works. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord. And your godly ones should, shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and talk of your power to make known to the sons of men your mighty acts and the glory of the majesty of your kingdom. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and great in loving kindness. 
The Lord is good to all and his mercies are over all his works. And so God is just, he has to judge sin. And at the same time, God is gracious and merciful to sinners. There is no way for that to reconcile. And I've looked and looked and looked and looked and looked. There's no way for that to reconcile outside of the cross of Jesus Christ. You cannot be gracious and forgiving and restore and, and reconcile on your own terms and hold up perfect justice outside of the person, the cross of Jesus Christ. Now, we're going to see more of that in a minute. Guess what? In Jesus, he judges sin. It is paid for, settled. He doesn't let it go. It's paid for in Jesus. And in Jesus, his graciousness is known to sinners. It only can recognize, reconcile to the person of Jesus Christ. So God hates sin. Because of his nature, he must judge sin. He does. And he is gracious, making a remedy for sinners. What a, what a savior that is. What a God that is, that is both just and gracious to us as well. All right, so that's the first part. The second part is this. The next part says, a righteous man. Well, the question then becomes, what is righteous? That's a church word, whether they're righteous or be righteous or you're self-righteous or whatever. What, what does it mean to be righteous? And, and I, I want to just take a turn right here for just a second and explain this. What does that mean? Noah is described as a righteous man, righteous in his day. What does that mean? Well, let me explain it to you. There's first two biblical ideas or understandings of righteousness, of being a righteous person. Now, the first understanding is doing the right, the works of righteousness, a person that is righteous in their living. Now, that means they have integrity. They operate in goodness, in kindness, the, the goal of their heart is to live in a way that honors God. Uh, the Bible sometimes calls a person like that a righteous person. Um, in fact, the Bible tells us we're to be righteous as God is righteous, that we're to live righteous lives. We're to live with integrity. We're to do good things. And so part of that is this description of a person that is involved in doing the, the works of righteousness. Now, the other meaning, the other understanding is much deeper than that, and it is talking about being positionally righteous, positionally righteous. What that means is being right with God. Your position is right with God, is reconciled to God. Now, remember, God is perfect. He does not sin. He cannot stand sin. He is righteous, he is just, he is holy, all of those things. Well, people, we have sinned. Now, the, the, the book of Psalms says no one does good. All have turned aside. Romans chapter three, verse 10. There is none righteous, not even one. Romans three twenty three. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so, positionally, nobody is righteous. Now, it says that some folks might be called righteous. 
because they're living, attempting to live a righteous life. But positionally, nobody is right with God because all of us have sinned. Now, I thought about that. The best example, and if there's, there's a lot of examples we can look at, but a good example would be this set of scales up here. In this set of scales, if we're trying to determine righteousness, positional righteousness with God, there can be not one sin and you keep, I keep my righteousness, your righteousness. Any sin dumps the scale. Any sin dumps the scale. You cannot, because God is perfect, because he doesn't compromise that, because he's just, because he's holy, there cannot be one sin or the scale dumps. That's this picture right here. If any of us have done a single sin, we've dumped the scale. We cannot be positionally right with God. We're not. Now, here's what we do. We come along and we try to find things that we can put over here that might tip it back. And really, most religious systems, in fact, any other religious system outside of Christianity, is that it's that effort. So pick your, pick your false religion. They're trying to heat things over here that someday you might tip the scale back and it might even out or you might even dump it down the other way and be back right with God, a system of works. And so you go to Islam or you go to any other religion and they're saying, I might, I might pull it off. I might do enough things that I could put the scale back and be in a right relationship with God. Here's the problem with these things. They cannot tip the scale. They cannot outweigh the scale once sin has entered in. Now think about this. Even today, we have a funeral. We say, ooh, they were a good person. We, lots of times in the newspaper, just to prove it, we list all the good things they did. They belonged to this. They did this. They did that. They did this. Guess what? It will not tip the scales. Generosity, a good heart. And I hear that all the time. And I don't know why we're so infatuated with our shirt, but people say they'll give you a shirt off their back. They give you, you know why they're in heaven? Because they'll give you a shirt off their back. Well, what about the, skin, the scale? It's dumped over. Yeah, but a shirt off your back, you have to bigger than that. Guess what? Generosity won't sway it. Church membership. Do you know how long I've been a member there? I'm fourth generation. Do you know I, I joined that church through four baptisms. And so church membership has to outweigh it. Guess what? It doesn't outweigh it. Or your family. There's folks that say their grandma was a saint. She was. And there's no way her grandkids went to hell or her son or daughter. Guess what? Your lineage, your family, your namesake, your church membership, nothing on this side. They're all feathers. Nothing can bring the scale back up. Positionally, we are not right with God. We're out of fellowship with God. We are not righteous once we have sinned. We're declared positionally unrighteous because of sin. All right, so we read this account, and it says Noah is called righteous. So now it gets kind of odd for a second. He's declared righteous in his day, blameless in his day. Now let me ask you a question. Does Noah sin? Yes, there's only one that doesn't sin, that's Jesus. So guess what, Noah? There's gonna be a later account. We're gonna read some of the stuff. 
Does he sin? Yes. So how is Noah counted as righteous? We can't do anything. So he couldn't do anything. He sinned. His scale is dumped. And yet it says he is righteous. Here's the, here's the deal. We're going to go fast and then we'll come back and look at pieces of it. It's going to be, it's going to be reinforced every week. We are, and he was, declared positionally righteous through faith, through faith. Now, we're going to see that, and it's going to be a, it's going to be a central theme. It's the, it's the theme of our gospel. Now, remember this account, and we're going to, we're going to see it, we're going to see it a couple places, but remember this account. What did Noah do? He believed God. What did Noah do? He trusted God. What did Noah do? He took God at his word. And, and we, could, we could tear the account apart. What if he said, I'll not build the ship. I'll not build it like that. I won't build it that long. What if he disagreed, disobeyed in many different ways? He believed God. He trusted God. He took God at his word. He obeyed him. And so his faith in God, his trust in God, the same as Abraham, the same as us, is counted to him, reckoned to him as salvation, as righteousness. He is saved by trusting, placing his faith in God. It was credited to him just the way we are saved through faith. Now think about that. Was it a lack of sin? No. Was it staying away from sin? No. It was faith. It was faith. All right, now I want to think about that for just a second. Let's, let's look at that situation a little bit. Think about that. Noah is surrounded by people so evil, so wicked, so opposed to God. God who is great in mercy and slow to anger wants to drown them all. He is living in a sick, evil, messed up, wicked day. Now, I think about our day and I think, man, that's crazy. That's wicked. That's evil. Things that, that we can't even dream of, people are, 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 are putting into practice now. How much more so in Noah's day that God would record even the intents of their hearts, the thoughts of their minds are continually evil. Now I want you to think about that for just a second. What do you think that does to Noah? And I'm, just, I'm just thinking there's no right answer. You live in a wicked day. Here's a question. What do you think that requires of Noah? They're all doing it. Talk about all doing it. They're all doing it. It's fine. They, they celebrate it. What do you think that requires of Noah? Man, he had to be tough. He had to be committed. He had to not worry about what the crowd thought. He had to worry about pleasing God and pleasing God more than any person or thing or organization. What do you think that means about Noah? And I think we start to see that, that line of faith. He trusted God. He believed God. He, he, he put his faith and trust in God. The Bible says throughout a period of 120 years that Noah remained faithful to God. It also says that he was a preacher of righteousness so he's actually preaching in that day, repent, 
There's a, there's a better way. You don't have to do this. And so for 120 years, he remains faithful to God. Now, when I read that, I see this. It wasn't a flash. It wasn't June. He was faithful in June. It wasn't in his early 20s. It was 120 years he was faithful to God. He's not hot and cold and hot and cold, hot and cold. For 120 years, he's preaching righteousness. He's walking in trust of God. And then the, the verse says this. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord and was declared righteous. Genesis chapter 6, verses 8 through 9. He believed God. He trusted God. I want to take another turn right there and think about for Noah, and it's going to be a shadow of, of truth for us, but think about Noah here. God's plan of salvation for Noah. Now think about that. How does Noah survive this? Nobody else did. He and his family, those that were on the, on the ark, what was God's plan of salvation, his plan of deliverance for Noah? Now, I pulled three things out of it. The first thing was this. God's plan was specific. God's plan of salvation for Noah was specific. He, he didn't say, you might try that and see how it goes. No, he said, you get gopher wood and you build a door up here and you build a window and it has to be this many feet from the top. And you're going to put a first layer and a second layer and a third layer it is a very specific plan. He tells them how to do it, when to do it, what to do it with. You're going to put pitch right here. It is a very specific plan. To be saved, there was a very specific plan. It wasn't a general plan. It wasn't this just pick a plan. God came and said there is a specific plan for you to be delivered, for you to be saved. That's the first thing. The plan of salvation was specific. Second thing we see is this. It required obedience. It required obedience. Now, think about that for just a second. He actually had to do it. What, what, if, he, what if he came down and said, that's a good plan, I like it. That's a good plan. What if, what if he came along and said, of all the plans, that's, my, that's, that's the plan that'll work. What if he said, I value this plan, I value this plan, but didn't do the plan. Guess what he does? He drowns with everybody else, everything else. He had to do it. And we see in the account, it wasn't just a flash. He had to get the wood and he had to get this. He had a generation all around him laughing at him, wondering what in the, what in the world's up with you? Why are you crazy? And yet he had to be obedient. So it was a specific plan. He had to be obedient to carry out the plan. And then the third thing I see in that is this. That obedience came from faith. It came from faith. Here's what he had to evaluate when he decided if he was going to build the ark or not. Is there a God? Or am I hearing things? Is this his word? Did he mean what he said? Is he telling the truth? Will God actually do this? Now, think about that. 
Will the, will the fountains break open and the rain come down? Will he actually, I mean, all of these things, he has to say, there is a God and his word is true and he has spoken and if he said it, I'm gonna trust him and his obedience is just the, 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 the outward show of his inward faith. He trusted God. Think about tonight, and it's weird because I, I sit there and go, is this not plain as day for us? Does this not easily lead us to the cross of Jesus Christ? Did you know God's plan for our salvation is specific? He doesn't say pick any God. He doesn't say pick any set of beliefs. He doesn't say as long as you're trying, that'll work. He doesn't say one of these will get it done. It is very specific. Do, do, do you see that it is faith that still saves us. It's trust in Christ that still saves us. The Bible says, believing in Christ, Jesus, not of any work, not of anything we do, but by trusting in Christ, still in faith, we become the righteousness of Christ. We take his righteousness. Let me show you some verses. First one is in Isaiah chapter 61. Verse 10, that whole chapter is talking about the coming Messiah. It says this, I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. My soul will exult in the Lord for he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has wrapped me with a robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself out with a garland and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. All right, listen to this. 2 Corinthians 5.21. He made him, Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. We become the righteousness, righteousness, the right standing with God positionally in Christ. And then we could keep going forever. Philippians chapter 3. Verse nine. And may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. A righteousness of my own derived from the law? No, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of of faith. Now what the, all that means is this. We're saved by faith in Jesus Christ. There is, a, there is a way to be saved and it's by faith in Jesus Christ alone. And when we put our trust in Jesus as our Savior, as the remedy for sin, guess what? We put on the righteousness of Jesus. We are robed, the Bible says, in the righteousness of Jesus. Our perfect deeds, no, we have none. Our good deeds, no. The righteousness of Jesus, we are right positionally with a holy God. All the way from here, all the way to the, to the conclusion, we see we're saved by faith and our faith is in Jesus who gives us his righteousness. What, a, what an awesome, awesome, awesome gospel. But more than that, what an awesome, awesome, awesome Savior we have who can uphold perfect justice doesn't let it slide, settles it in Jesus, but is gracious to us, those that would put our faith 
in Jesus. The last verse there, Hebrews chapter 11, verse seven says this. By faith, Noah, being warned by God of things not yet seen. What a crazy sentence. In reverence, prepared an ark for the salvation of his household by which he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. What an awesome Savior. What an awesome God. What an awesome gospel. Salvation by faith in Jesus. Glad you're here tonight. Let me leave this a word of prayer. We'll be dismissed. Glad you're here. Dear Father, we come and, and we're thankful for you. We're thankful for your word and we're thankful that you lead us, that you direct us, that you guide us. Lord, I'm thankful for a gospel of good news of grace. I'm thankful that for sinners, you provide a remedy in Jesus. And if we will turn to you in faith, not of any work, not of anything impressive, we have nothing impressive, but in faith, you forgive us, you restore us, you make us positionally right, you give us the robe of righteousness of our Savior, Jesus. Lord, I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that as believers here tonight, we can walk out and we don't have to carry the guilt of sin, the shame of sin, the stain of sin. We wear your robe, Lord. I'm thankful for that. Lord, I know the world is hurting, suffering outside of that truth. And I, as, we, as we come tonight, I pray that you would use us as ambassadors of that truth, of agents of that truth. And Lord, I pray that the good news would be received, that many would hear and it would be for your glory and for your name's sake. I pray for the folks here tonight. Bless them, encourage them. Those listening in a different way tonight, bless them, encourage them, teach them. I pray for our kids right now. Praise the Lord Jesus for, for kids that are hearing of righteousness, the robes of righteousness through faith in Jesus. Pray for our youth right now. world all around them would, would pull them astray. I, I'm thankful for our youth that are hearing about salvation, not of works, but of the grace of God through faith in Jesus. Pray for all our classes that are meeting tonight. We thank you for this opportunity. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Glad you're here tonight. You're dismissed.